technical difficulties, user error on my part. <laughs> so um, I uh, have, uh, over the course of my life, uh, played video games for probably the past uh, 15 years. I remember the first game I played, I think it was based on the movie A Bug's Life, um, and I played it in my dentist's office. I don't know if dentists have video games anymore. I must have just had a really cool dentist. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, being immersed in that world and uh, playing games, one of the things that uh, has just been really cool to see over the years is how uh, basically the graphics have gotten so much better, the actual images and the, the way that it functions. So I remember back uh, when I started playing, maybe early 2000s, things tended to look kind of blocky. They kind of had uh, hard edges, um, didn't really look organic. But as time has gone on, that has gotten better and better and better. So uh, nowadays, things look practically realistic. So I think I have an image here. Not of myself, there you go. <laughs> so uh, just as an example, this is uh, from the game series Halo. That's a marine. And as you see, this is just from 2001 to 2010, how much better um, those images have gotten, how much more detailed, how much more fleshed out. And you know, now today in 2022, it's even better looking. All that being said, uh, despite the fact that it has gotten uh, more and more realistic, despite the fact that um, it just looks beautiful and it's gotten better, I'm still keenly aware that it is not real. Um, not just because you know I can't actually shoot fireballs or do anything like that, but the images themselves, even though they are pr approaching perfect realism, they haven't actually reached that point yet. They are still uh, artificial, they are still uh, reaching but not quite arriving at perfection. And in a similar manner, that is the experience of God's church here on earth. That uh, there is tremendous beauty, there is tremendous glory. Through the ministry of the church, we see Christ's offer of forgiveness uh, given out and applied. We see lives changed. We see nations uh, coming to Christ, ethnic groups, countries that would previously have been in conflict, members of those groups within the same building praising God. And we experience, of course, the very presence of God as we're in worship, as we partake of communion and read his word. But even in the midst of that beauty, even in the midst of uh, that glory, it is still not quite perfect. And I think we're all aware of that because as members of uh, Christ's body here on earth, we are moving forward steadily towards perfection, towards perfect maturity in Christ. And so what I want to share with you today as we are uh, bringing our series on the church uh, to a close is I want to share with you what that goal is that we're going towards, what it's going to look like when the bride of Christ is perfect and blemish-free, what it looks like when we as believers have reached that ultimate goal of beholding God as a church together. 
And so in order to do this, I uh, want us all to turn to uh, Revelation 21, verses 22 to 27. Just as you're doing that, I'll pray for us. Lord, just thank you, uh, Lord, just so much for, Lord, just your goodness and your grace, Lord, and just your wisdom in creating a people for your name, Lord, for creating the church, for loving the church, for um, giving this great goal and this grace, uh, gracious fuel for us to get there, Lord. We just thank you so much. And Lord, just pray that as we're here, that your presence would be here, that you would uh, just speak to us through your word and help us to, to better understand and be encouraged by you, Lord. We just ask that in Christ's name. Amen. So Revelation 21, 22 to 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, probably within the past year, we actually did a series on Revelation, so this has been covered, um, so I don't mean to fully retread uh, ground here, but what I do want to do is I want to highlight some aspects of this particular passage that really speak to what the uh, perfected church is going to be like, what the experience of the church is going to be. And in doing so, we're kind of going to work in reverse order of the passage. So we're going to start with verse 27, and we're just going to go uh, backwards. And then, of course, incorporate other scripture that speaks to this theme. And so just for uh, context, uh, where we are in Revelation, this is John's description of uh, the New Jerusalem as Christ has returned, as he's gathered his people, as uh, everything evil uh, and awful has been put aside. This is uh, the perfected vision of what he sees. And so to start, the uh, first thing that I want to talk about is the perfect holiness of the church. So I think all of us, uh, without really needing to give you any evidence, we're aware that the church is imperfect. We're aware individually that we're imperfect, that we still struggle with sin, that we still struggle battling ourselves. And certainly the church as Christ's body throughout time has not been perfect. There have been scandals, there have been setbacks, there have been um, all sorts of things that are not becoming of the church. But nevertheless, the church as a whole throughout time is moving forward, that uh, God is giving grace to the church, that the church is becoming uh, more and more holy, more perfect in time. And so here in John's vision, we actually see uh, that the church is going to be perfect. The church is going to be uh, perfectly holy. And so you may be saying, okay, what, uh, where is it saying that? Where are you getting that? So we're looking at verse 
27 here. But nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So this verse, verse 27, uh, really seems to be speaking uh, of what is excluded from the New Jerusalem, what is excluded from uh, God's people in perfection. But based on that, you can infer what it is then saying about those who are a part of God's people, what they are like. So if nothing unclean, nothing, uh, no one who is false or detestable is, within, or is going to enter into the New Jerusalem, then those who are within the New Jerusalem must be the opposite of that. They must be clean. They must be true. They must be honorable. This is uh, the inferential logic of what this, uh, this verse is saying about those who are in the new Jerusalem. So maybe if that's a, a little hard to track, um, I'll give you an example. So uh, if I were to say that uh, no one who breathes fire is allowed in the building, so no one who breathes fire, what could you logically assume about all the people in the building? Yeah, <laughs> none of you breathe fire, none of you are dragons or what have you. Um, it's that same sort of inference that you can make <laughs> um, about uh, the people within the building. So this is uh, in the vision that John is having. He sees that the, those who are within Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, are good and perfect and holy. And of course, uh, this isn't just the only verse or passage that speaks to this, uh, but we see elsewhere within Scripture um, what uh, Paul says about this. So if we look at Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, uh, here Paul is exhorting um, uh, husbands, and he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ's aim in dying for the church in love would be so that he can present it to himself as his bride, perfectly holy, perfectly free of stain or blemish or sin. And so this is what the church is going to be. It is going to be in the end uh, of days when Christ returns, it will be absolutely holy, absolutely perfect. And so what I would uh, say to you with that is to be encouraged. Um, we do still struggle with sin. We do still struggle in this life, but we are going to a destination in which that struggle, in which in that trial, uh, that is going to give way to absolute glorious holiness and blessedness, that we are going to live together in a life that is free of sin, free of temptation, that we will finally be as a church what we are meant to be, absolutely pure and spotless. And so this is the, the first perfection of the church that 
Again, though we uh, struggle today, there is coming a time where that struggle will end, where we will be perfect. And so this is the first uh, perfection of the church that we will experience. And now the second perfection that we're going to experience is a perfection of the community of the church. So we see here in uh, verses 25 through 26 um, that the light of God and the Lamb is going to be a guide to the nations, that the kings of the nations are going to bring in the glory and the honor uh, into the new Jerusalem for the sake of God. And so this is uh, just an expansion of what's uh, really been said uh, more clearly elsewhere within Revelation of uh, the reality that within the new heavens and the new earth in the time of the perfection of the church, um, the community of the church will be perfected. That uh, as John says in Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Uh, the great assembly of the church uh, at the end of days is going to be comprised of people of every tribe, nation, and tongue. That uh, the church won't be isolated to one group, but will be expanded to all the peoples that God has created. And that's really something that we can see being realized today uh, quite apparently. Um, just in uh, the video that uh, uh, Leslie shared, we see the gospel being preached to people all across the world. Um, we as a church support missionaries in places uh, across the world. Um, we know that there are believers in every uh, country that we can think of. So we already see that this is taking place, that uh, the church at its genesis started off with a small group of Jews, and then through Acts it expanded to the Samaritans, who were their close relatives. Then it expanded to the Gentiles, um, Cornelius, the centurion, and then from there expanding to the ends of the earth. And we see the New Testament as a witness to uh, this gospel spreading and being shared with people all throughout the Roman Empire. And as we track church history, we see that spreading more and more. So this is a perfection of the church that we very much can see being realized. And simply within uh, the new heavens and the new earth, that is going to be absolutely perfect and full, that all peoples are going to be included, that all nations all tribes and all tongues will be included within this great assembly. So that's one part of this perfection, that the community of the church is going to be fully expanded, fully inclusive of all peoples as we see it becoming today. But there's another element of this perfection of community as well, not necessarily spoken of in this passage, but spoken of elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, and this is one that we certainly don't physically see, but this really undergirds our hopes, particularly when we face tragedy and death. 
And this is the perfection of the community of the church between the living and the dead, that uh, everyone gathered here today who is part of the church is going to share fellowship in eternity with all of the saints in the past. So Paul uh, in First Thessalonians, Paul in First Thessalonians, uh, four thirteen through eighteen. So uh, just to, to set the context, the Thessalonians uh, within their church they had experienced uh, people who had passed away, and there was a fear. You know what's going to happen to them? They weren't here when Christ arri- uh, is going to arrive. So what's you know are they done? Did they miss it? Um, But Paul wants to encourage them that this is not the case. So, uh, the passage. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So as I said, Paul here is offering encouragement to these Thessalonians who are grieving their, uh, their deceased uh, brothers and sisters, that they do not need to be hopeless, that they uh, have a hope that they are going to meet them again, that they have not lost out on the return of Christ, that they are all going to share together this community and be with the Lord forever. So this is the community of the church, not just the people gathered here locally, not just all the churches in Haverhill and the churches across the world, but those churches combined with the churches that have uh, come and gone as people have gone to be with the Lord. And this is, when you consider it uh, in kind of two elements, this is amazing. I think there's one element to think of it that, uh, you know, if you read church history or you know, just reading the Bible, there are all these people that we know, all these people that we uh, have uh, learned their story, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, Moses, uh, in reverse order <laughs> in the time. Um, but all of these people, we are actually going to meet them and have fellowship with them. We are actually going to be able to say to Paul the Apostle, hey, how you doing? Hopefully you have more to say, but, <laughs> you know, we're going to meet these people. We're going to experience life with Augustine and Martin Luther and Calvin, Spurgeon, the late Billy Graham. And we're also going to meet all of those countless believers that history doesn't necessarily remember. But nevertheless, they lived lives of faithfulness, trusting in the grace of God, being fueled by that grace to be faithful to Christ uh, throughout history, the, uh, the peasant farmer in uh, medieval Germany to uh, believers that pass away in Asia today. And for us as well, unless Christ returns relatively soon, 
hate to break it to you, we're all going to die. And some of us certainly will uh, go on before others, but we are going to be reunited and be together with Christ. And I think that that is one of the sweetest elements of that, in that the people that we know presently, um, when they pass, that is going to cause grief, that is going to cause mourning, because we love these people, we love our fellow believers. But we don't need to mourn as those without hope, because uh, just as Anthony shared today, God is the God who can call uh, the dead things to be alive, that we are going to meet each other again, that even though we may have that grief today, we are going to be reunited with our brothers and sisters um, in eternity with Christ. And so this is a, a beautiful perfection of the church in that we are going to experience this together with God. And so perhaps as a somewhat silly illustration of this, but just came to mind as uh, thinking. Um, so as a kid, uh, I used to love the Power Rangers. And, you know, there's always a different season every year, and they kind of follow the same general like, story. <laughs> you know, the, the team of Rangers gets together, they fight, you know, progressively more powerful bad guys, uh, they, like, add a new Ranger in there, and then they fight the big baddie, and the season ends, and they go on. But there's always, uh, within each season, there was always a really cool crossover episode where they would get together with the Rangers from the last team and fight some super powerful monster. Um, but I remember... Uh, and I don't remember when this happened, but as a kid, there was a really, really cool episode where every single Red Ranger up to that point teamed up. So you have, like, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the Turbo Rangers, the Ninja Rangers, I don't know. All these people get together to fight this big, I think, like a robot or something. Um, and it was just so cool, because it's like, oh, wow, all these guys that I had watched, they're getting together, they're doing something cool. And... In a much cooler <laughs> way, that is going to be us together. That uh, we're going to get together with the saints of the past. We're going to get together with those churches of the past. And we are going to come together to worship God together, to have fellowship with God. And so again, this uh, perfection of the community of Christ, uh, it's going to be way better than the Power Rangers. Um, and, and I want that to encourage you because this is another thing that we're looking forward to. Um, the, the two prophetic words that were shared today really hit that note of having hope that God has an inheritance for us in the future. And these are the elements of that, that we are going to be perfectly holy, that we are going to experience life with one another for eternity. Um, we're going to meet those who have passed that we've only heard of or perhaps never heard of. And we're going to share uh, in life together. And what that leads to then is really the, the last perfection of the church, which is really the greatest perfection of all and really the goal of the church itself. And this is perfect communion with God. So verses 22 to 23 of our passage, 
And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So, just to set the stage for us now, um, as this is talking about the ultimate experience of communion with God, uh, praise God, we experience communion with him today, that God is not absent from the church while we're here on earth. Um, There are many, a myriad of ways in which God is present with his people So when we are gathered together as a church right now, this very moment, the presence of God is with us in a unique way, not just his sort of omnipresent reality that he's everywhere, but in a very concentrated, very specific and special way. God is with us right now. You know, it's not just a bunch of people sitting in a room by themselves. God is here with us. We see uh, throughout scripture, uh, Psalm 22, 3, that uh, God is enthroned on the praises of Israel, that uh, when we worship God together, God is there present. We know that as uh, believers, that we are both individually and corporately indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Um, Romans 8.11, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you, that together and individually, we carry the spirit of God. I love it when uh, Pastor Mike comes here and preaches because he really highlights that point, that we are vessels of God's spirit. His Holy Spirit is within each of us. And collectively, as God's church, as his temple, God is with us in that way as well. And then as we move through uh, uh, just the experience of the church, we also uh, experience God speaking to us directly through his word as we study scripture, as we hear uh, his word preached. God is communicating to his people. He's not silent. He's there with us. He is speaking to us. God is present with us in that way. And then, of course, as uh, sort of the... uh, One of the best experiences within the church today is when we take communion, when we celebrate the sacrament. Christ is in a a spiritual and mysterious manner. He is present with us as we do so. We're not merely remembering him, but we are actually experiencing him and partaking of him in a spiritual manner. So God is not absent. God is with us in so many ways that we experience both as individuals, as we're going throughout our daily lives, but especially, particularly, as the gathered church, Christ is amongst his people. And that is good, that is glorious, those are the best experiences that one can have within this life, is to experience the presence of God amongst his gathered people. But with that being said, and in no way meaning to denigrate the beauty of that, the beauty and the glory of those experiences, we are also keenly aware that as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see through a mirror dimly. We do not experience Christ, we do not see God fully 
in this life as good and blessed and wonderful as the way that we experience him now. We only see through a mirror dimly. But as that verse continues, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Verses 22 to 23 of our passage describe what this knowing fully looks like. Uh, There is no temple within the New Jerusalem. There is no barrier or mediation of God's presence to us. God, Christ, are there, fully present, fully uh, dwelling amongst his people with no barrier, no dimly uh, perceived mirror. We see God face-to-face as I see you face-to-face now. And this really is ultimately the goal of God's work in the church is so that he can make a people for himself to dwell among them. This is his goal throughout redemptive history, and we've seen it come closer and closer. We start within the Garden of Eden. God dwells uh, with Adam and Eve. Uh, Due to the fall, uh, there is a, a separation from God. But as God's redemptive plan works out, we, again, we get closer and closer. We uh, see God uh, take a nation for himself out of one family, the family of Abraham. And we see him dwelling with the people within the temple. Um, But the temple had barriers. Not everyone could go in. There was all sorts of ritual with that. And then with the coming of Christ, we see that uh, put aside and, that, and Christ was physically present with those uh, who lived in that time. But of course, that physical presence was limited to the physical body of Christ. He couldn't be everywhere as the God-man at that time. So then Christ leaves. He ascends to heaven after his resurrection. And God sends his spirit into each one of us, sends his spirit into the church. And so now we experience a communion with God now presently greater than those who, uh, who went before us during the time of the Old Testament, that God is present. But finally, at the end of days, we are going to experience the full realization of that, in that it's not simply that Christ will, or the Spirit will dwell within us, but that we will see God, that we will experience him fully, uh, without any barrier, without any mediation. And just thinking of that, this is always one of the, the hardest things to talk about uh, for me, not because uh, I don't like to, not because it's not good or glorious, but because it is so glorious, because it is so deeply felt emotionally and spiritually and hopefully that it's, it's really hard to communicate in words what this is going to be like. Uh, it's really hard to communicate how good this is going to be when nothing we experience today even approaches how blessed we are going to be sharing in life with God directly. So though my words fail, uh, you know, Christ uh, in his wisdom uh, does uh, give words to others more eloquent than myself. And so I just want to share a a quote from the poet Dante Alighieri. Uh, So you may know Dante's Inferno, um, but that 
is actually just a section of a larger work. It's called the Divine Comedy. Uh, it's not funny, that's just the, the sort of classification of it. Um, and it's basically Dante's fictional journey throughout the medieval church's understanding of the afterlife. So he goes through hell and then purgatory, as they would have understood it, and then finally comes to heaven and kind of progresses further and further. So again, this is all fictional and not necessarily fully theologically accurate, but I think it does speak to uh, some uh, theological truths. And so at the end of the third part of the, the text, the, the Paradiso, so when uh, Dante is in paradise, he actually comes before God himself. Uh, he comes before the triune God um, in all of their blessedness. And as he looks upon God and tries to comprehend the transcendence and the beauty of God, uh, this is what he says. But already my desire and my will were being turned like a wheel all at one speed by the love which moves the sun and the other stars. My friends, that is what we are going to experience uh, in a much fuller, much grander way than uh, even the great poet can share, uh, that we are going to experience that love which moves the sun and other stars. We are going to dwell forever with our good God who loves us, who died for us, uh, whose desire is to be with us forever and forever. And so just as we draw both the sermon and the series to a close. If there's anything that I can impress upon you, if there's anything that you would remember that would stick out and bless you, uh, it would be that, that this is the ultimate perfection of the church that we are moving towards. That in our perfect holiness and our perfect community that we will share, that ultimately we're going to share this with our blessed triune God, who is the greatest gift, who is the greatest uh, joy that we could experience. And collectively, we are going to experience that forever and forever. Amen.